Hello to all of you on this beautiful afternoon. I've got a nice view here, but sadly you have to. <laughs> uh, but we, are, we have been going through the book of Nehemiah, as some of you may know. And of course, I welcome those of our friends who are newer to our worship services. I'm very glad that you're here. But if, been, if you have been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And we are actually in the last chapter, the last um, sermon on the book of Nehemiah. So... Uh, that's quite a feat. Uh, yeah, just maybe a bit more. Just a bit of strength. And that's it, thanks. So we are at the end of Nehemiah. And um, just kind of a way of looking back at the, the story of Nehemiah. I think it has taken me personally on a journey of like uh, places that I didn't expect uh, the, the story. I thought I fairly knew the story of Nehemiah well, but it was a pleasant surprise to read through and learn new things and be reminded of very important uh, concepts and I, I hope that has been your experience as well. But just looking back on the book of Nehemiah at the end, what is the book all about? What is the story all about? Uh, you might be tempted to think that it's about the wall, the building of the wall. And yes, of course, the building of the wall is a big part of the story of Nehemiah. But if you look at this breakdown, not necessarily the breakdown that we considered in our sermons, but I think helpful for us to visualize. If you look at the way it's broken down, the wall ends in chapter 7. And we have 13 chapters. The rest of the book of Nehemiah, um, the wall takes a back seat. It's like, yes, the wall is important, but chapter 6, the wall is done. And the story keeps going on. Um, so it's more than just the wall. It's about rebuilding the community of faith, rebuilding the community of God. Uh, it's about how Nehemiah and his uh, friends, the community, regrouped the Jewish community who were exiled from different to different places. It's about the um, it's about the community coming together and finding a place for themselves, uh, a presence where they can call home. There's one part where the com they, they they were reflecting on their own situation and they said, uh, "Our homes are broken down and people make fun of us, insult us." because we don't have a place. But now at the end of the story, we, we see that they finally have a place. The wall is rebuilt, the city is coming together, not complete, but it's coming together, and they have a place to call home. Um, so that's where we find ourselves today at the end of the story. And looking at chapter 13, which is the focus for today's sermon, we know that there's one theme that's recurrent, recurring in chapter 13. And that is the theme of purification, of purifying, right? Uh, of making, uh, of, yeah, of purification. And that is an important theme uh, for the chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13. But if you think about it more, you realize that purification is actually the theme of the book of Nehemiah. If you think of the wall, what does a wall do? A wall separates, a wall um, makes a, it's a boundary marker, right? It, it, uh, it, serves as a, a limit. And so the wall is a way of separating themselves, the people, from everything else, every, everybody else, the rest of the world, the Gentiles. Um, the priesthood, which is an important part of the story of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah goes and spends a lot of time making sure that the priesthood is properly instituted, so on and so forth. We learn that, we, we, if you think about it more, the priesthood is about consecrating a particular tribe 
purifying them as a separate role, for a separate role to play in, in the temple. Uh, again, separation, purification of a particular group of people for a particular task. Uh, also, we have encountered a very interesting, tricky um, idea about intermarriage in the book of Nehemiah. Um, and again, we, we mentioned that it has more to do with culture and religiosity rather than ethnic kind of uh, differences. But again, this notion of separation, of purifying uh, the, the group, uh, the community, to set apart a particular group. The concept of temple itself is a holy place, a place that is set apart, purified for a particular purpose. So the theme of separation, the theme of purification, consecration, dedication, all of these stand out in the book of Nehemiah. Set, a, set Something that's set apart for a specific purpose. And I think that's important to recognize because it has it says something about the community as God's people, that they are holy, that they are set apart from the rest of creation. They are the community of God, um, and the basis of them being the community of God is that they are set apart for the purpose of God's, uh, to serve as God's people, to be God's people. So being set apart, being purified has to do with about being God's people, okay, to, to be purified, to be God's people. So that's the basic framework that we want to look at today. Chapter 13, um, and of course, looking back through the, the rest of the book, um, the, the, the mapping here is helpful, but there's also one, one thing that's lacking here, which is the, the time scale. If you look from chapter 1 all the way till chapter 12, all of those from chapter 1 to chapter 12 happened in, let's say, a year or so. And suddenly from chapter 12, between chapter 12 and chapter 13, there's a gap of 10 years or up to even 12 years. And of course, that's not really reflected in this map, but that's helpful for us to think about. Between chapter 1 and chapter 12 is one year, and then suddenly from chapter 12 to 13, we jump 12 years later. And between chapter 12 and 13, a lot of things have happened. The wall has been rebuilt. The wall has been dedicated. There's been a lot of celebration. If you look at chapter 12, we learn that they celebrated and they, 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 there are so much festivities that the singing could be heard from far away. Uh, the, they were so joyous at the moment, at, at the occasion of the wall being rebuilt. And during these 12 years, Nehemiah served as the governor. And in chapter 5, he claims that during the 12 years that he was governor, he never took advantage of people. He was not corrupted. He and his colleagues made sure that they restored the temple, that they worshiped God, they restored the community, they helped the poor, uh, they installed this concept of jubilee and liberation for the poor people, for those who are in need. They made sure that Sabbath is practiced. So they did all of that. Like They made sure that 12 years that he was governor, all of this were carefully taken place. So again, it's more than just the wall. It's about the setup of the society. It's how we can even call it structural changes into the society. Um, and it was centered around purifying the community of God based on the word of God. And yet, during the 12 years, we noticed that this is not a story of they lived happily ever after. Um, it's almost like when you watch a movie, like you are watching a movie and then the credits start rolling and you think the movie is over. But if you're smart enough, you wait long enough and then there's like after credits that kind of like 
throws everything off in, into an uh, imbalance. It's something that like, chapter 13 is something like that. Um, the, the wall is built and everything's hip hip hooray and everyone's, everyone's happy. But then chapter 13 opens 12 years later and you realize things are not, it's not over yet. It's not resolved. There's a plot twist. And the plot twist is that things have gone wrong again. There have been lapses and there have been failures in the community of faith and they have failed to live up to, the, uh, to their requirements to be holy. 12 years after the wall is rebuilt, things have fallen apart. Um, and 12 years later, Nehemiah goes on a trip away to, uh, to go to the king of Persia, uh, under whom he is serving. And it was during the time of his absence that all of these lapses were happening. So we, we want to just go through some of the things that were happening that is recorded in chapter 13 very briefly because there's a lot of words involved here. So I'll just summarize what is going on here. In chapter four to chapter, uh, chapter four and five, we note that the house of God, there's specific rooms that were allocated for a specific purpose. And in Nehemiah's absence, um, it was discovered that they were desecrating the holy places. Uh, Eliashib, who is a priest, who is supposed to protect the purity of the temple was allowing people to come in, particularly Tobiah. Uh, and he, he was allowing these people to come in to make use, to take advantage of the space, the storerooms, uh, the, the food that people would gather. And um, presumably they were uh, given private access to this place, the holy place. Uh, and they were desecrating the holy place, the holy temple, and they're using it for selfish purpose and selfish gain. So Nehemiah goes about, and he, when he, he comes back, we see in verse 6 onward, Nehemiah comes back and he's, he's, uh, he's enraged that, that this is happening. And he goes about correcting things, and um, he goes about to purify the room, to restore the sanctity, to restore the purity of the rooms, of the, the house of God. Um, so he comes back and he purifies the house of, house of God, and he also finds out that it's not just the space, but the Levites, the priest, the, the tribe of priests, they, they were supposed to be full-time worker in the temple, doing this, the service, doing the um, uh, priestly activities. Nehemiah comes back and he learns that they had all gone to their own places because um, they, needed, they needed food. In other words, the people were not supporting them enough. So they had to desert to their fields and they had to work because they needed food to support themselves. Nehemiah comes back and he learns about this, that the priest had fled and deserted to their own to, to take care of themselves. The people were not taking care of the priest any longer. He comes back and again, he was enraged and he made sure that, um, uh, he made sure in verse 10 and 11, 12 onwards, he made sure that uh, there are people allocated uh, to, to ensure the provision for Levites so that they don't have to worry about their own fields that they, come, come, they can completely focus on serving God and uh, serving the temple and making sure that the worship must go on. And then there's more. There's more lapses in the community. He finds out that Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath, the practice of resting, was being commercialized. And I found this to be really interesting. Uh, the Jewish community could not work during the day, the day of Sabbath. And so 
the people from uh, Tyre in verse 16, the people from Tyre, businessmen, uh, merchants, they heard about this and they thought, hey, this is a chance to make some money. So they would go to the gates of Jerusalem and when people were not working because of Sabbath, they were, they were selling things and they were uh, making business, taking advantage of this. Nehemiah comes back and he's like, what is going on? Like, this was supposed to be a time of rest and there are outsiders coming and taking advantage of this and people are this full business, full lucrative business going on. Nehemiah is yeah, he's enraged. And I, I thought it was pretty harsh, but the way that he went about, he was quite stern. He warned against this merchant saying, don't hang out here. Don't sell your stuff here. This is a holy day for us um, and you should not be uh, doing this. He warned the people, the priest, to make sure that this doesn't happen. He tells the priest to guard the gates, to not allow anybody to come in. In other words, to observe the day of Sabbath. So he comes back and restores, um, to summarize all of these words, he comes back and restores the holiness of Sabbath, the sanctity of Sabbath. Um, and then finally, we see that there's another issue, the problem of intermarriage and idolatry. Um, he comes back and he, he sees that people were, uh, the, people, the J- people in Jerusalem were intermarrying with other communities and in, in, in due course they were also uh, worshipping the gods of the other communities. And I think I've mentioned this in the previous sermon that deals with this. Intermarriage has more to do with religious devotion. devotion. It's more to do with the worship of God and worship of idol, idols rather than the ethnic issue. It's not about the the, the ethnic community and I mentioned that we see this I know this because in, there's no condemnation for people like Moses who married um, out somebody outside of the community or Ruth herself as a Moabite as a foreigner is um, is uh, praised for her faith so it's not so much about the the ethnicity and the the racial uh, under, uh, undertones but more about the dilution of the worship of God that happened with these intermarriages so Nehemiah comes back and he learns this and again, I would say pretty violent language. Like look at verse 25, he rebuked them, he called curses down on them, I beat some of the men, I pulled out their hair. Um, again, very dramatic, very vivid language, but it shows how seriously Nehemiah took this, uh, this as a problem. In fact, he, later on he says, and it's not mentioned here, but later on uh, he says that he kicked out one, uh, one guy from the priesthood because he intermarried and he f- forbade this, uh, the practice of intermarriage. Uh, so in, in quick summary of uh, what was going wrong in this, he said, Nehemiah says, so I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruit. Rebuilding the, temp- rebuilding the community of faith for Nehemiah meant purification. It meant setting aside a community that is holy, that is set aside and is different from the rest of the world, really. Purification being set apart as God's people. So we could say that this is one of the core themes of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a story of communities, the community of God striving. And the word striving is key here. The community of God striving to be holy, striving to be purified. And of course, I said that this is far from the happy, happy, happily ever after story. 
because as I mentioned, 10 years down the line, they had all the serious lapses, like just in these few verses itself, four lapses that we, we noticed already. Um, so, we, we, um, so we, we might even say, what is the point of this story? Is it to show the failure of the project? That the community of God strived to be holy, but they failed. Um, if the goal was only purification, if the goal is purification, to be set apart, to be holy, to be God's people, um, that would be incomplete. That's what I'm trying to say. That would be in, uh, the that would be a story. Yes, it's true, but it's incomplete. The other angle that we need to focus, we need to think about in the story of Nehemiah, is uh, the story of the community's faith in God's faithfulness. The com- the story of the community's faith in God's goodness. And we get a clue of this in Nehemiah's prayers that we see interspersed throughout the book of Nehemiah. He keeps saying, remember me, remember me with favor. In verse 22, it says, remember me for this also my God and show mercy to me according to your great love. Nehemiah is not not only a story of Israel's the people of Israel striving to be holy and failing to be holy. It's not only a story of their inability to live as God's people. It's also a story about their faith in God's goodness. It's a story about their trust in God and the almost the stubborn trust in God to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild and rebuild, to keep returning again and again, trusting in God's forgiveness and trusting in God's steadfast love. Um, it's a story of Israel's unfaithfulness, yes, but it's also a story of God's faithfulness. And I think these two have to be seen together. Otherwise, we, we run the risk of um, uh, um, seeing an imbalance in the story. In the Old Testament, there's a beautiful word for this particular um, God's love. It's chesed. And this word is... Um, this word is spread out all through the Old Testament. Uh, it means kindness, uh, a few words there, steadfast love, mercy, covenant, faithfulness. Um, uh, the, the, uh, um, the Old Testament uh, scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he says it's related to tenacious fidelity in a relationship. The readiness and the resolve to continue to be loyal to those to whom one is bound. Keset, the loving kindness of God, the steadfast love of God, his loving, his goodness. That, the story of Nehemiah is the story of Keset, of God's Keset. Uh, a few weeks back, we, we reflected on covenant and how the, the language of covenant has to do with uh, the idea of being fettered, of being tied to something or somebody. Uh, uh, in this imagery, God is bounded to us, to be faithful to us. God is fettered to us. He chooses to be fettered to us to show us love. So the story of Nehemiah is about God's chesed, God's faithfulness. In fact, if we think about it uh, a little more uh, deeply, Nehemiah himself is a recipient of God's grace. I didn't, I didn't mention this in, uh, in the introduction to Nehemiah, but a lot of biblical scholars, a lot of ancient Near East uh, scholars would say that Nehemiah as a, a cupbearer, right? 
it's very likely that he was a eunuch. Uh, that's just part of the, the role that he has. Uh, it's part of the uh, occupational uh, characteristic of a, a cupbearer is to be eunuch. Uh, Persian scholars also have uh, confirmed this. And although the Bible doesn't say, and so we, we, we should say, it's very likely that Nehemiah was a eunuch. And again, in chapter 1, we saw that he had a certain closeness and intimacy with the king and the queen. Um, shows that um, at, that, at that level of uh, government, the highest level of government, the cupbearer to the empire, the emperor, Artaxerxes, at that level, it's very likely that he was a eunuch. What that means is that he, by, by, by definition, he is not allowed in the temple. He is not allowed in the presence of God, so to say. Um, to add to that, he was working for the Persian kingdom. He was working for a foreign king and presumably soaked in... Uh, pagan culture in, in the traditions of other people, um, living in a faraway land, um, removed from Jerusalem, removed from temple, from the purification rites. And so he, of all people, knew that he needed God's grace. And I think that's why for six times in throughout the book of Nehemiah, he keeps saying, remember me, remember me, remember me, remember me. And when I was reading this, uh, these texts first, I was like, why does he keep saying that? Is he being cocky? Like, Oh, I did that, remember me. Oh, I did that, remember me. But when we think about it in, in these terms, we realize that he's, it's actually a plea of brokenness, a plea of needing God's mercy, right? God's help. Because it's almost like he's saying, I have no descendants. I have no legacy. Uh, I have no access to the temple. Lord, you remember me. You take care of me. You have mercy on me. So it's a story of Nehemiah's desperate need in Chesed in God's loving kindness. But also the community of uh, uh, the Jews, the Jewish community, they knew themselves that they are recipient of God's chesed, God's loving kindness. They knew that they have to trust in God's favor and goodness because they keep feeling, they keep feeling. They, they need to keep trusting in God's goodness. It's not an option. Like they, they needed to trust in God's goodness. Uh, because it's true, they have rebuilt the, the, temp, the walls. They have rebuilt the temples. In, in, in fact, we, as uh, a few hundred years, five, about 400 years later, uh, King Herod managed to build a grand temple. And uh, with the temple, there's worship of God uh, accomplished, like there's, there's uh, regular rituals going on. And yet they, they knew that this did not guarantee their faithfulness to God. They knew that they needed to rely on God's chesed. Another way to put all of this is to say that the cornerstone of their community is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness was the only stable foundation for, for the community of faith, for Nehemiah, for the Jewish community. So it's not just a story about purification, although that is a big part of it, and rebuilding, although that's a big part of it. It's also the story of God's faithfulness and the way that the people founded their community in the faith that God will remember them, God will have mercy on them, right? So uh, if I were to summarize, it's a story of uh, two sides of the same coin. Um, the, the, uh, the community of faith being a community, community that's holy, that's set apart and purified. Uh, and that happens because of God's faithfulness and God's chesed. If I were to 
draw these uh, few thoughts and reflect on the meaning for us, implications for us. Um, and that leads us to 1 Peter chapter 2 that Isaac read out for us. Um, Jesus is the cornerstone. Um, the stone that, on which the community of faith can be built. Right? Um, so the, the text goes, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it's important to place this text in a context. This is 500 years later after Nehemiah. And just like the, their experience during the time of the Persian Empire, this is under the Roman Empire, in which the Jews were scattered all across these places that we see in the map here. Uh, Jerusalem is down here in the corner, and they are far from home. They are far from the temple. Uh, they are far from the rituals. They are scattered all across the, the face of the Roman Empire. And Peter, the disciple of Jesus, a Jew, writes to these people scattered across, not just Jews but Gentiles, and says, you are the holy people. You are the community of faith. You are the holy nation set apart for God's purpose. And you will notice that there's nothing about temples here. There's nothing about storerooms and Levites and priests. There's nothing about intermarriage. There's not even the mention of Sabbath in these texts. It's almost as though the same ideas are there, purification and community of faith, but something has changed. And I think what has changed here is that uh, the, the criteria, the, the cornerstone of this community of faith is in Jesus. Holiness is a gift. It's not something that people strive for uh, or need to fight for and earn. Holiness is a gift that comes to people by faith in Christ. So God's love, God's cassette now is embodied in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone and we are his people because we are in Christ. Because we are built in Christ, with Christ as the cornerstone. Um, maybe if I go back to the imagery here, I tried really hard to find a nice photo of a cornerstone, but that's the best that I could come up with. But when we build our, our lives on Jesus as the cornerstone, um, that, is when, um, we, we, um, that is when we are secure because Jesus is the cornerstone, the embodiment of God's love, God's cassette. We are now, we don't need to go to Jerusalem and go into the temple to be holy. Now we are scattered across the world. We here as well in CEC, we are scattered across the world and we are holy because we are in Christ. Holiness is a gift that comes to us through Jesus Christ. We are set apart, not through intermarriage, not through lack of intermarriage, not through Sabbath, not through the, the, the rituals and the temple regulations, but because we are in Christ. So by way of conclusion, let me just draw back on the first thought that we have, the first reflection that I, I shared in um, Nehemiah chapter 1. The name Nehemiah, Nehemiah, it means the Lord has comforted. 
Yahweh has comforted. Despite their condition, the community of, for the community of Nehemiah and his community, despite their condition, despite their unfaithfulness, the Lord has comforted them. The Lord has um, shown them mercy through his chesed, through his loving kindness. And it's the same for us as well. Our great comfort in life is God's faithfulness. Our great, com- our great comfort in life is that we can ask, remember me, oh my God. And it's because of his faithfulness that we are holy in this world. We are set apart for good works. It's because of his faithfulness that we are called to be his temple. That is the message of Nehemiah, I think, that the community of faith is the one who strives to be holy. Now for us in Christ, we don't, necess- we don't even, uh, we, we are made holy and we, we are called to be holy because we are already made holy in Christ. Um, it's flipped, if you know what I mean. So in Christ, we have a foundation, the cornerstone, and we can base ourselves, our lives in the solid foundation, the solid cornerstone of who Christ is. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the gift that you have given to us to be your people. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who, through whom we have holiness and we have received your love. Lord, we pray that you help us as we strive to live into that holiness, to live into that, um, that, um, that place of being holy, the place of being set apart. Uh, by your help. It's only by your help, O oh Lord, that we can do that. But we thank you, Lord, for the example of Nehemiah and the example of the community of faith. And we ask that you'll help us to be like them, to strive for holiness in our life and to, to base our lives on your loving kindness, your goodness, your chesed. We thank you for these lessons. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.